1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 15. But I have used none of these things, and I'm not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I'm under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For I do this. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I may might win those who are without law. To the weak... I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others... I myself will not be disqualified. Let's pray. Father, we uh, ask that you would again be our teacher, that you would uh, help us as we seek to understand your uh, divinely revealed word. Lord, help us to uh, be receptive to it. Help us to uh, be committed to living according to these principles that you've given to us to live by. And that the church might be enriched and that you might enhance our fellowship through it. And Lord, uh, as we learn to limit our liberty, uh, as we consider brotherly love and uh, the sake of others first, that uh, your church would flourish. And so, Lord, again tonight, we ask that you would help us and uh, instruct us in your word. Lord, we also just... uh, Join our hearts together tonight, just expressing our praise, acknowledging your worthiness, that uh, you are uh, worthy of honor and glory uh, and uh, dominion forever. And so, Lord, we we thank you and we know it's a, a privilege to be able to worship you again tonight. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. The bases are loaded. Bottom of the ninth inning, 
no outs, a runner on every base, and your team is down by one run. Coming to the plate is the best hitter on the team. He has a 348 batting average, has already driven in 43 home runs, and has a 516 batting average with the bases loaded. The pitcher on the mound is a fastball pitcher, and the slugger at the plate is a fastball hitter. He digs in at the plate and glances down at the third base coach who gives him a sign. The sign means sacrifice. In fact, in this case, it means bunt. The batter can't believe his eyes. He calls time and he backs away from the play and he thinks, I can't believe he's asking me to bunt. I'm the best hitter on the team. I can put this ball over the fence. He gives a sign that basically means give me another sign. But the third base coach gives the same sign, sacrifice. The batter can't believe it. He thinks, why is he treating me this way? I have my rights. This is an insult to my value to the team. He steps up to the plate and he thinks, I don't care what sign he gives me, I'm going to cling to my rights. He swings at the ball with all his might. And the next day, the headline reads, Slugger hits into rare triple play. In 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, the Apostle Paul steps to the plate. He looks up to heaven at his coach, and his coach gives him the sign, sacrifice. What will he do? What will we do when we step up to the plate? When Paul stepped up to the plate, he acknowledged his right to be paid for his ministry to these believers. But when he got the sign from the manager, even though he wanted to swing away, he laid down a sacrifice bunt. Why? To be the hero? To get a bigger contract? To get more TV endorsements? No. He did it. For one reason, to win the game. That is the reason why every player is on the team to begin with. It's not to gain individual recognition. It's not to achieve superstar status. It's not to receive the accolades of the world. It is to help the team win the game. That is the bottom line. Why should you and I be willing to limit our liberty at times for the very same reason, to help the team win? For us, personally, it may be a great sacrifice, but for the team, it will be a great benefit. That's what this principle of limiting our liberty is all about. Now, we've been looking at this principle for three weeks already. The basic tenet of the principle is a willingness to yield our rights so that 
we will not become a stumbling block to the weak. It is the principle of giving up to gain. And last week we saw how Paul illustrated this principle by establishing his right to remuneration for ministry and then explaining that he did not take advantage of that right. Tonight, we'll be looking at verses 15 through 27, where Paul gives the reasons why he yielded that right to expect support from the church. Now, beginning in verse 15, he says, I have used none of these things. In other words, I'm not clinging to any of the six reasons I gave you of why ministers should be financially supported. And so that they would not get the wrong idea, he says in verse 15, I'm not writing these things that it may be done so in my case. In other words, there is firm biblical support for supporting those in Christian ministry. But in my particular case, I'm not asking for that. And we see that this is really a very strong conviction of Paul's because he says it would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. Paul would rather have been dead than for someone to think that his motives for preaching were sinful in some way. For example, that he was doing this just to get rich. In fact, Paul had said something very similar to the elders at the church of Ephesus. He said, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now that's that's Acts chapter 20, verses uh, 33 to 35. When Paul said in verse 15 here, for it would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. The word boast there carries more the idea of rejoicing than it does arrogance. He's not being prideful here. Instead, he is rejoicing in the fact that God has given him a skill that is allowing him to earn his own living and that of the others with him. He's rejoicing in the fact that he can preach the gospel free of charge and not have to expect any financial support from the people. He's rejoicing that no one, as a result of this, can make a false accusation against him because it is obvious he is not doing this to make money. Paul had his priorities right, and his joy came from limiting his own liberty for the sake of his brother's. So tonight we're going to walk through those reasons that Paul gave for making this decision. Here are the reasons Paul gives for limiting 
his liberty. Number one, to keep from losing his reward. To keep from losing his reward. And we see this in verses 16 through 18. And there are really two halves to this. What it is not and what it is. We look at it that way. First of all, the reward was not for the message or the ministry. Look at verse 16. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul glorified in the gospel, but not for it. He knew he had nothing at all to do with the gospel's content. He was just the messenger. He understood he was the waiter and not the chef. All he did was to take the food out of the kitchen and serve it up to the table. He was not the originator of it. And by the way, that ought to be the heart of any preacher of God's Word. We can never take any credit for the content of what we preach. We just serve it up. God has given it to us. We just serve it up. And our job is to take it just like it is and to serve it to the people. Our only job is not to mess it up along the way from the kitchen to the table. Just don't mess it up. Just keep it like it is. But going back to Paul, he also understood that he could not boast in his preaching ability because God had given that to him as well. In fact, he could not even boast in his willingness to preach because for Paul, not preaching was worse than anything he might have to suffer as a preacher. And I'm sure you remember God stopped him dead in his tracks on the road to Damascus. So really what he's saying here is he's saying, listen, I did not volunteer for this job. I did not submit an application. I was drafted. I can't help it. Woe is me if I do not do this. In fact, as Paul later came to realize, God had set him apart even from his mother's womb. And he wrote that in Galatians 1.15. His calling really was similar to that of Jeremiah and John the Baptist. He was called and ordained by God before he was even born. And by the way, if you look at Jeremiah as an example of this, you'll find the Old Testament there was a time in his life when he became frustrated and he was ready to quit preaching. He had suffered much rejection and ridicule, so he tried to stop preaching. But God brought him to this conclusion recorded in Jeremiah 20, verse 9. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. Just like what the Apostle Paul was talking about. Very similar to what Paul's saying. 
Paul puts it like this. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul understood that he was under compulsion to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And think about it. That's a lot like someone saying that they will give you $50 every time you take a drink of water. And you might say, that's great, but I want you to know I'm going to drink water whether you pay me or not because it is water that keeps me alive. In a very real sense, Paul was saying, listen, if you want to make a contribution for my support, that's fine, but I want you to know I'm going to preach the gospel no matter if you do that or not because that is what keeps me alive to God's calling on my life. We'll go on to verse 17. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Paul gladly preached the gospel, but he did not do it voluntarily. The phrase against my will, does not mean that he was unwilling to obey. It means his will had nothing at all to do with the call itself. It was not his choice to serve Christ. So, consequently, he did not receive a reward, but a stewardship. In other words, he was under obligation to preach, for which he neither deserved nor expected a reward. And folks, listen, every minister, and that includes each of you according to Scripture, has been given a stewardship by God. We're responsible for that stewardship, but we shouldn't expect a reward for our faithfulness. That's just what stewards do. It is required of stewards that one be found faithful. Well, if the reward mentioned here is not for the message or the ministry, then what is it for? It is for preaching Christ without charge. For preaching Christ without charge. Look at verse 18. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge so as not to make full use of my right. In the gospel, the gospel was thrust on Paul. He was under compulsion to preach it, and he would have been in serious trouble with the Lord if he had not done so. But he was not under compulsion in regard to receiving payment for it. He was entirely free to expect support from those he served. But he chose not to be paid because he wanted it that way, not because it was necessary. In that choice, he found great satisfaction and joy. And for that choice, he knew he would receive a reward. He was determined not to make full use of his right in the gospel. And with great joy, he forsook his own liberty. He refused to take advantage of his own rights in order to make a contribution of his very own 
to the work of Christ. So Paul did this, first of all, to keep from losing his reward. But secondly, he did it to win the lost to Christ. This is an even more important reason to yield one's rights because this matters for all eternity. In verses 19 to 27, he explains two ways in which he sought to enhance his preaching of Christ. First of all, through self-denial. Through self-denial. Look with me at verses 19 to 23. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I may, be, I may by all means save some, and I do all things for the sake of the gospel, that I may become a fellow partaker of it. The primary purpose of Paul's not taking full advantage of his Christian liberty was that he might win the more. That he might win the more. He deeply believed that he who wins souls is wise, Proverbs 11.30. And he was willing to do anything and to sacrifice anything to win people to Jesus Christ. As far as rights were concerned, he was free from all men, but because of his love for all men, he would gladly limit those rights for their sakes. In other words, he had figuratively become a slave to all men. He had determined to modify his own habits, his own preferences, even his entire lifestyle. If any of those things caused someone to stumble and hindered them from coming to know Jesus Christ. Now, this idea of voluntary slavery carried a lot of punch in those days. Under the Mosaic law, every Hebrew who was enslaved by another Hebrew had to be offered his freedom after six years. On the seventh year, he had to be set free. But as you know, if he really loved his master and he chose to stay in that household, he could become a permanent slave. And when that occurred, his master would pierce his ear as a sign of voluntary enslavement. And you can read about that in Exodus chapter 21. And this is really what Paul is talking about here in regard to winning the lost. He was willing to become a voluntary slave if that meant winning the lost to Christ. Now, this word for slave is a very strong word here. This really 
reflects what we might call radical Christianity, but it really ought to be normal Christianity. It is a willingness to alter one's own plans and to sacrifice for the sake of others. And Paul gives us three examples of this here. First, he said, to the Jews, I became a Jew. That's verse 20. Of course, Paul already was a Jew racially, but this means more than that. This had to do with continuing to practice certain Jewish rituals so as not to offend the Jews. In Christ, he was no longer bound to the ceremonies, rituals, and traditions of Judaism. Following or not following any of those things had no effect at all on his spiritual life. But if following them would open a door for his witnessing to the Jews, he would gladly accommodate. What had once been legal restraints now had become love restraints. Paul was willing to go along with something that really wasn't necessary if it would open the door to preach the gospel to the Jews. He could surely abide by their regulations, observe a special day, or refrain from eating certain foods if doing those things would help win those who were under the law. And we know Paul did this several times in his ministry. When Paul, for example, wanted to take Timothy with him in his ministry, he had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in their, those parts where he wanted to go. That's Acts 16.3. He accommodated for the sake of the Jews. Now, that was a small price to pay for the prospect of winning some of them to the Lord. And because the Jews were still under the law, Paul would himself act as under the law when he worked among them. He did not believe, teach, or give the least suggestion that following the law had any spiritual benefit. It could not gain or keep salvation in any way. But it was a way of opening doors for his work among the Jews. Secondly, he said, to those without the law, as without law. Verse 21, Paul was willing to live like a Gentile when he worked among the Gentiles. Now, to keep from being misunderstood, he makes it clear that he's not talking about ignoring or violating God's moral law. Look at verse 21 again. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. Notice the phrase, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Of Christ, That is his way of saying that he's still bound to God's moral law. He's no longer under the ceremonial law, but 
The moral law of God does not change. The moral law of God is based on the character and nature of God. And so Paul makes it clear he's still under that moral law. He's still under the law of Christ. So this is saying that other than in moral matters, Paul identified as closely as possible with Gentile customs. He ate with them. He ate what they ate. He went where they went. He dressed like they dressed. And again, the purpose was to win them to Christ. Thirdly, he said, to the weak, I became weak. Now, it's likely that the word for weak in verse 22 is referring to those who are weak in understanding, not those who are weak physically. So, to meet this need, Paul was willing to give simple and repeated presentations of the gospel. And he summarizes all of this in verse 23. And I like the way the ESV has it. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Please understand Paul did not compromise the gospel in any way. He would not change the least truth in any way to satisfy anyone. But he would condescend in any way for anyone if that in any way would help them come to Christ. You could say that Paul's life centered in living out the gospel and in preaching and teaching the gospel. Nothing else was of any concern to him. He said, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. The gospel was his life. He therefore set aside anything that would hinder its power and effectiveness. And oh, what he was able to accomplish as a result. A second way Paul sought to enhance his preaching was through self-control. Self-control. Not only was, not only did Paul practice self-denial, he also practiced self-control. Liberty cannot be limited without self-control. Look at verses 24. Through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win, and everyone who competes in the games exercises self control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. The Greeks had two athletic festivals. They had the Olympic Games and the Isthmian Games, The Isthmian Games were held in Corinth. So this was very familiar to those Paul's writing to. 
contestants in these games had to prove rigorous training for 10 months in order to qualify to run. The race was always a major attraction at the games, and that was the figure that Paul used to illustrate the faithful Christian life. Those who run in the race all run, but only one receives the prize. No one would train so hard for so long without intending to win the race. And yet, out of all these large numbers who would enter the race, as many, many runners, only one would win, Paul says. And of course, this is really where the analogy kind of breaks down a bit, because as we saw in our study of the book of Hebrews, there is a great difference between the Christian race and these races. In the Christian race, every Christian can win if they are willing to pay the price of training and discipline. In the Christian race, we don't compete against one another, but against the obstacles, practical, physical, and spiritual, that would hinder us. And we saw all that in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. But what Paul is saying here is that we must do whatever is necessary to win the prize. Holding tightly to our liberties and rights is a sure way of losing the race. And the truth of the matter is that many of these Corinthian Christians became seriously limited in their testimony because they were not willing to limit their personal liberties. They refused to yield their own rights, and in doing so, they won few and offended many. But going back to the race analogy, the athletes in Paul's day did all that rigorous training to obtain a perishable pine wreath. And although it represented fame and renown, it was amazing how quickly last year's winner was quickly forgotten. And I could easily go off on a tangent here and talk about how so many today are so focused on sports when most of us can't even remember who last year's winners were, but I'll uh, check myself and not go there tonight. Paul's main point here is that in the Christian race, we are running for something far more valuable than a perishable wreath. We're, ru we're running for that which is eternal. We're running for the crown of righteousness or the soul winner's crown. We're running for an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for us. And because that crown is so valuable, we must run with much determination. And the truth of the matter is that every good thing that we accomplish, whether it is in learning, in business, in artistic skill, in marriage, in spiritual living, in witnessing, in whatever else, 
it is always accomplished through discipline and self-control. If an athlete expects to excel, he voluntarily and often severely restricts his own liberty. He denies himself of certain indulgences, knowing that they will be detrimental to his winning the race. Paul said he had a purpose for running. He was not without aim. His goal, which he states four times in verses 19 to 27, was to win as many people to Christ as possible. And then, changing the metaphors, he says that he boxed in such a way as not beating the air. He was not merely shadow boxing. He was in a real fight. He was fighting the good fight of faith. Of course, Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight in keeping faith with a good conscience. Folks, we're in a real fight here. I hope you know that. We're in a real fight. We're not just shadow boxing. We're not just working up a sweat. This fight takes our best effort. Well, notice what Paul says in verse 27. But I buffet my body, and I make it my slave, lest possibly, after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. The word for buffet, there's a vivid word in the Greek. It literally means to hit yourself under the eye. Paul was saying, I beat myself up if that's what it takes to win. He refused to be a slave to the wants and desires of his body. Instead, like a disciplined athlete, he made his body his slave. Why? Lest possibly, after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, here is another metaphor from the Isthmian Games. A contestant who failed to meet the training requirements was disqualified. Couldn't even run in the race, much less win. This doesn't mean what Paul's saying here. doesn't mean you can lose your salvation. It means you can lose your effectiveness for Christ. Becoming disqualified means to become worthless in your ability to make an impact for the kingdom of God. This is why self-discipline is so critical. You don't want to become disqualified in any way. And part of that self-discipline comes in learning to limit our own liberty for the sake of others. Well, I hope you're getting the idea because we've been hammering on it now for all these several weeks. This is the principle. Giving up to gain. Limiting our own liberty in order to help the team win. Let's pray together. Father, we pray tonight that you would help us to just really grasp these truths and uh, have that desire to apply them to our lives. And 
Lord, we thank you once again for your word that is so practical and, and that we can, if we just study it, if we just know it, hide it in our hearts, then we have what we need for every instance and every circumstance of life. So, Lord, help us to be your people this week and live these things out. In Jesus' name, amen.